Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. your Bibles, please turn to Jeremiah, the first chapter. Jeremiah, the first chapter. We're going to cover verses 4 to 10. And even though I have the New King James Version up here, my notes are using the New Living Translation, not the New World Translation. That's Joe Witness Bible. The New Living Translation. In Lafayette, I found that it's easy to use an easier English Bible version, especially when you deal with translators, because there are words that they cannot translate from English to Latvian. So I tried to find a very easy version for them so that they can translate. So my notes and our notes on the screen will be from the New Living Translation, and I will use that translation. But let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Good morning, Heavenly Father, and thank you for bringing us, your sons and daughters, here together in your house. Holy Spirit, open our hearts to hear what you have to say. Open our eyes that we may see Jesus glorified, magnified, and exalted among us. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the bride of Christ says, Amen. Amen. Jeremiah, the first chapter, starting with verse 4. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is what was written in Psalms 139, verse 16, which says, You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. Have you considered that the Lord already knew who you were before you were even born? He knew your name. You were designed with a purpose in mind. I think about how in Psalms 139, in I believe it's the Old King James Version, it says, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, how many of you have ever seen someone knit, sew, or croquet, crochet before? Okay. I remember back in 1984, I came home from school, and in the front room around this chair, there were all these colored balls of yarn. And I thought, okay, that's, we don't have a cat, so I don't know what the deal is. But as the month progressed, the balls of yarn were shrinking, and this afghan was forming on the couch until... April 1984, I walked into my room, and there on my bed was the afghan with a note on it to keep you warm at night, love mom. And I looked at the afghan and noticed how all the different colors were woven together to form this afghan. The idea that my mom sat in that chair with an idea of what this was going to look like and the purpose it was going to have. In the same way, when I hear the verse, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, the idea that God knitted each and every one of you in your mother's womb. 
The word of God says it took six days to make heaven and earth, but guess what? It takes nine months for him to make you and I. So what does he spend the most time on? You and I. And the idea that he knit us together. You know, many of us have very unique cultural background. I did the Ancestry.com and I found that I'm a mutt. <laughs> I mean, I've got so many, you know, relatives. In fact, this past week, last weekend, I met for the first time the Korea relatives. My, my father never knew his father. So for the first time, I got to meet the Korea side of the family. But I also found out that I'm also... French and Irish and Portuguese and Spanish and even European Jewish. And I'm like, good grief, I covered the whole world. But the idea that God took different threads of my ethnic background and sewed me together in my mother's womb. Now, you might say, well, I'm not supposed to be here. The relationship my parents had was not ideal or was unhealthy. Well, my father wasn't supposed to be here. Grandma and grandpa weren't married. In fact, grandpa was married to somebody else. And yet God is is a redeeming God. He is known to take the ugliness, the messes in our life, turn them around for his glory and for our good. Because here is the grandson of a man who had a, a relationship with my grandma, who's now going around the world preaching the gospel, telling people, guess what? We serve a redeeming God. Because you know what? All of us have had messes and brokenness in our life. But you know what? We have one who heals the brokenhearted. I don't know why I'm getting Pentecostal all of a sudden. Anyway, so (laughs) I'm Calvary Chapel. I just feel the Lord's presence in this room right now. So hopefully Pastor Joe will let me come back next week, next year. Anyway, so um, no, we serve a redeeming God. I mean, if we were to have a testimony service, we would be surprised how many of us came out of brokenness and how God has taken stuff that we thought were unredeemable, unrepairable, could never be fixed. And God says, well, watch what I can do. Watch me. Oh, I'm getting the chills. The Lord's in the house. Wow. Okay, so Lord, help me be focused now. Verse 6. Jeremiah had an answer for the Lord. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord. Have you ever prayed a very, like, grandiose prayer? Ah, oh, sovereign, miraculous, marvelous, you know, you, you try to use big words for the Lord. How many know that a simple help does the job too, you know? Here's Jeremiah. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, he said. I can't speak for I am too young. The thing. Do you remember being told growing up, you can't do that, you're too young? Remember hating that? Now some of us are hearing, you shouldn't be doing that, you're too old. You know? Well, let me tell you something. You're never too young or never too old to be used by the Lord. Abraham and Sarah. 90 and 80 years old. They were enjoying their retirement age. And then God says, pack it up, we're going. And they leave their home, their comfort, to go to a place they had no idea where they're going. So imagine, you meet Abraham and Sarah along the way. You exchange pleasantry. And they, you ask them where they came from. They tell you. And they say, well, where are you going? And they look at you, look at each other, look at you, look at each other, and say, we don't know. We're just looking for a city that God is building. And remember, 
God blessed him with a child when he was 100 and she was 90. Don't say you're too old to be used by the Lord. Let's not forget Moses. He was 80 years old when the Lord called him to ministry. The first part of his life, he was, you know, next in line to be prince of Egypt. And that didn't work out. He had to escape. And for 40 years, he's taking care of maybe 100 sheep in the wilderness. He's 80 years old, thinking, okay, retirement now, this is awesome. And then God calls him to lead his sheep of 2 million. And the word of God said that his strength and his eyesight were the same when he was young as when he was 120 years old. None of us can retire from the Lord's service. The only time we're going to retire is when he calls us to glory or the rapture. You're never too old and you're never too young. God used mama's boy, David. He had these big brawly brothers, football players, who were afraid of a guy named Goliath. Remember that? If you read in, in First and Second Samuel, Goliath taunted them and they were afraid, but not mama's boy. David was the youngest one. He was the artsy guy, the musician who plucked a harp and played with sheep. But he also knew who his God was. Remember why he was chosen. Not because he had the look or fit the part, because he had the heart. He had a heart after God. Remember, God is not looking for your availability your abilities. He's looking for your availabilities. He's looking for the open heart that will trust him. Because remember, it was David that would write, whenever I'm afraid, Lord, I will trust in you. I know who's in charge. And he told Saul when he was going to fight Goliath, I will look at that giant as though he's a bear or a lion that I dealt with in taking care of my father's sheep. You know, it's amazing that the Lord used shepherds, Moses and David. And David became known as a shepherd over Israel. Or Josiah. Josiah was a young king at eight years old. How would you like to have a leader of the country at eight years old? Might be an improvement, but that's my opinion. (laughs) Hi, Mom. Anyway, so (laughs) at eight years old, Josiah was appointed king. And he was the one the Lord used to bring revival and renewal and repentance back to the country of Judea and Jerusalem. You know, we live in a society that wants to cancel the culture and tells us we need to be woke. No, we don't need to be woke, brothers and sisters. We need an awakening. We need a revival. We need an awakening back to righteousness. I can tell you right now, coming to America every year, the America I left 13 years ago is no longer here. The America I left a year ago is no longer here. We're watching our country crumble from within. But the only person, the only one who can remedy this is the Lord. We need to turn back to the Lord. Right now, people are looking for answers. And we, who are redeemed, have that answer. We need to share that answer with others. This young king brought revival to his nation. 
If he can do it, we can too. Remember, Calvary Chapel was born out of the movement called the Jesus Movement. A bunch of hippies. Remember the hippies? Long-haired, some of them didn't take showers or baths. Dirty, barefoot, would come to church, get saved, and radically change the world. This church is the result of that movement that's still going on. If the Lord can use hippies, if the Lord can use an 8-year-old child, or a 17-year-old mama's boy, or two old people, he can use you and I for his glory. Amen? Verse 7. The Lord had to tell Jeremiah, Don't say I'm too young or too old, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. You know, some people think, well, the Lord can't use me because, and then they'll fill in the blank. Well, the Lord can't use me because I didn't go to seminary or Bible college. Well, did you know Peter, James, and John never did either? They never been to Bible college or seminary. In fact, when they were presented before the Pharisees and Sadducees in the book of Acts, the religious leader perceived that they were uneducated people. They knew that these three were from the, well, they were country boys. Galilee is pretty much a hick area. It's like, you know, think of rednecks, you know. They had an accent. But they also perceived they had been with Jesus. You know, I've been in ministry long enough and been in different denominational churches as as a guest pastor and sometimes just as the guest singer and hear pastors who are so seminary trained, they know the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, they know it up here, but they don't have it here. You can be informed by the gospel Sunday after Sunday, come in, sit in the pew, say amen and leave the door and not be different. The big change is when you have been transformed by the gospel. When it goes from the head to the heart to the feet. Remember, it says, don't be just a hearer of the word. Be a doer. Put in an action. And we need that today. You know, sometimes when I've heard some of these pastors when they, that don't even believe the word of God, they go to seminary and they come out most atheists almost. And when they preach... It has nothing to do with what was just read. I remember one church, this pastor talked about ducks. And how if we're good to ducks, we're good to God's creation and God will bless us. And I just wanted the barf, you know. (laughs) But then I've also heard an uneducated preacher empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you knew he knew the Lord. Because when they preached, it was with power and authority because the Lord was upon them. Again, it was not his ability. It was his availability that the Lord was looking for and used. So don't ever say you're too young, too old, or not educated. If you're open to the Lord, he'll use what you have. Because remember, if he could take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 plus with it, he could take the little you and I might have and multiply it in ways you never thought about. Verse 8, again, he had to remind Jeremiah, don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. If the Lord says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He is not a man that he can lie. If the Lord has given you a personal promise, a special word, hold on to it. It will come to pass in his timing. 
There are times I've heard the, heard the Lord speak in my heart and I'll write it down. And then when it comes to pass, I know it was the Lord. The Lord might be speaking to you or maybe bring to remembrance something you saw in the scriptures. Maybe you're holding on to a promise. Hold on to it. He will not let you down. He can't. It's impossible. God cannot lie. What he says, he means. And if he's given you a personal promise or you're holding on to a promise for a loved one, hold on to it. Cleave to him. His word is amen and yes. His word never changes. It's funny how this book gets attacked. During the Soviet Union reign of terror, this book was outlawed. And people wonder, what, what was it about this book that North Korea, you, you can't read it. China, you can't read it. You know, many persecuted countries, you better not have this book. Why? What are you afraid of? There's a God Sin, judgment, new life. This book gets attacked. It's God's word. And God's word does several things. God's word will convict us. God's word will correct us. God's word will comfort us. God's word will challenge us. God's word will conform us to Jesus. It's amazing. How many of you have a morning devotion, evening devotion, or late night devotion? And has it been where you've read God's word that literally, verses literally jump out at you like in 3D? I went, I have a, a one-year Bible. I've been going through the Bible for one year. Well, not just one year, but since 2002, every year. And uh, I had a one-year Bible that I had to finally retire because I kept marking over and over again. Because Every year, a verse that would stick out the year before would stick out again, but its application was different. And then three years later, I would come to that verse, and it popped out again, but then again, the application was different from the time before. Have you noticed God's word? It, it just hits you. And it could be a verse you've read over and over again, and it hits you in a whole different way. You know, I, I noticed that mystery novels don't do that. But God's word does because it's living and active. And it goes right to the soul. Verse 9. Then the Lord reached out, touched my mouth and says, Look, I put my words in your mouth. And how important it is that we become people of the word of God. I've been talking to a lot of my pastor friends. And one of the things we've noticed in a lot of churches is a lot of Christians are Bible illiterate. Now I know here you're not. I've been in churches where no one even has their Bibles. We need God's word. Not just in our head. Not just something we can quote. But in our hearts. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. And it's the word of God that we memorize that the Holy Spirit uses to bring up to our remembrance when we are facing a situation. Verse 10, today I appointed you to stand up against kingdoms and nations. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. You know, Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, 
We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It is my personal opinion what we're seeing physically right now in the world, there is a spiritual thing all behind it. The wars, the atrocity that's happening right now in Israel. We're seeing the physical armies, but I personally believe that there are spiritual hosts behind all this. All this stuff that's going on in the culture right now with the waterfalls. There's a spiritual thing going on. Remember, we've got a powerful power of prayer. Prayer can change things. Let's not give up in prayer. You know, when it says in the last part of verse 10, you must build up and plant. Next slide, please. That's what I've been doing with your help in a small little country called Latvia. It's the red dot on the map. We're surrounded by Estonia, Russia, Belarus, and Lithuania. Across from the Baltic Sea, you'll find Finland, Sweden, and Norway. Next slide, please. And for the last, well, coming on 14 years, I've been helped rebuilding this country. I've been allowed to go at a public school and be the chaplain at this public school. It's not a Christian school. It's a public school. And do morning devotions and Christian education, meaning it's part of the curriculum. And so for the last 13 years, this non-Christian school has been Christianized. In fact, what's funny is, rumor is, we are a Christian school. And what's great is, the principal is an on-fire Christian who has gone against the government and has asked the parents' permission for me to come and be on the campus every day as the chaplain. And every year, I get voted in. And so we, yeah, praise the Lord. And you know what? It's interesting when we have guests come to the school because the first thing they tell us, this school is different. The kids are different. Now understand, in Latvia, only 3% of Latvians go to church. And out of that 3%, maybe 2% are really authentic believers in Christ. In Streaky School, where I serve, 90% of the kids don't go to church. So, that morning devotion time, that's our worship time. That Christian education class time, that's our Sunday school time. And I take every advantage I have with it. And what's interesting, even the kids who claim to be atheist is affected. We had a girl last year named Gabriella, 6th grader. Every week, her hair was a different color, you know. Claimed that she was an atheist. And again, the Christian education class is an elective class. You're not forced to go. It's by choice. And she would come. And even the principal said, well, you know, you're, you're not, you don't have to go. It's not uh, mandatory. Oh, no, I don't mind the old man talking. <laughs> now, here's a girl who claims she's atheist. And I start the time off with a time of praise and worship. So here's this atheist girl singing, Open the Eyes of My Heart. And I asked the principal, you know, she, she answers all the questions and everything. And the principal said, well, at one time she was a believer. So I think what you're doing is just stirring the seed that was planted a long time ago. And that's what I've been doing at Streaky School. Planting seeds, watering, sometimes manuring. 
but, it get, but it's God who makes it grow, not me. He does the growth. And what's interesting, some of the students from 13 years ago who are now 25, 26 adults are coming back to me now, looking me up saying, can I talk to you? I remember what you said, and they'll give me the year back when. Which lets me know it wasn't in vain. That what was planted years ago is now starting to churn and take root. Next slide, please. For the last 14 years, I've been serving at Gregor's Education Center. That was I kind of do more pastoral ministry, lectures and seminars and so forth. And I've also been serving at a Baptist church in Brosani, Latvia. And we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We started in 2017 with chapter 1. We are now finishing chapter 12 this summer. <laughs> and it's not that I take that long, it's just that I rotate with another pastor, so, and uh, so, but uh, they're already waiting for me to come back. They've like already trying to schedule my calendar when I get back home, you know. But keep us in prayer. This church has gone through a whole lot. The head pastor that was a part of this church made a shocking announcement that he was leaving God, the church, his family, the whole nine yards, and left, and left the church completely, you know, like in shock and hurt. And so for the last six, seven years, I've been there to bring hope and healing and just walk them through this time of, of recovery. Next slide, please. For those who don't know, last year I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I don't know if for those that were here on Wednesday last year. And I was kind of nervous, like, okay, well, then I'll get the operation in America. Well, <laughs> if you don't have insurance, you know, your operation is way up there in cost. And so I thought, well, what am I going to do? Well, the same exact operation that I can get here in America was only going to be $4,000 in Latvia. The same high-tech operation, including the hospital stay, the terrible food, and Nurse Cratchit. <laughs> so here I am in a foreign hospital that don't speak English, and whenever I had pain, I asked the Lord, thank you, Lord, for Google, because I was able to type in, I'm in pain, more morphine, please, and show them and translate in the Latvian, and, you know. So they did a biopsy and said, you know what? The good news is your cancer was only 15% in the prostate. Do your PSA tests and follow up. So before I came to America, I did the PSA test, and praise the Lord, it's at zero. <laughs> Amen. And thank you for those who I shared last year for praying for me because I was really nervous in doing this operation. I had it done in January. Next slide. And because I had the operation, I thought, well, okay, it's going to take about two and a half months of recovery. Well, how many know that God likes to keep you busy when you think you're not going to be busy? He started giving me an internet ministry where all of a sudden I was getting emails and um, phone calls from India and Pakistan asking me to preach and do online conferences and services. So I started doing ministry in India and Pakistan through Zoom, ministering to pastors, to the persecuted churches. Because, you know, in India and Pakistan, to be a Christian there, you literally are taking your life. It's a risk because you lose your family. Because in India, it's strongly Hindu. In Pakistan, it's 
strongly Muslim. And for you to become a Christian, that's like, in many ways, a slap in the face to your family. So it's been a blessing to encourage pastors, Bible students, and other people to keep following the Lord. In fact, SFC, which stands for Students for Christ, like the way that I ministered to the Bible students, they asked me to be a, a faculty member. I said, oh, that's great. And this is great. You are our senior faculty member. Senior faculty member. Okay. I felt old right away with that. Next slide, please. And SFC, they ministered to the unreachable people in Pakistan. They reached to families that are indebted to brick makers. For those who don't know, when you take a debt in Pakistan, like $1,000, that's a lot of money for a Pakistanian. You work it off by making bricks. The thing is, the brick makers never tell you that they also added interest to the, to the loan or when you finally reach the goal. So a lot of these families are stuck making bricks. And we're talking from four-year-old kids to 85-year-old grandmas. The whole family is indebted to brick makers. So SFC tries to raise funds to pay off the debt to release the families. And then with that, talk about how Jesus paid their debt to release them from sin. Next slide, please. And for those who don't know, in August 16 of this year, radical Muslims attacked a Christian village, destroying all their homes, their church. In fact, SFC stays in contact with me every week. And they told me that a lot of Pakistani Christians are losing their jobs because most of the employers are Muslims. So continue to pray for the persecuted church. They really need our help. You know, when we hear persecution here in America, we're dealt with people calling this name, narrow-minded, so forth and so on. They are physically getting persecuted. Next slide, please. The other thing, too, in the last year, I found myself ministering and supporting a young African named Yafasa, who became an orphan at age 16 when his father died, and all of a sudden he became the man of the house, having to help the family, grandma and mom who can't read or write, and his five siblings. And the thing is, who's going to hire a 16-year-old kid? So we began sponsoring him, and this year we were able to raise support so that his siblings can now go to school. Because it costs roughly $1,000 for all four kids to go to school, which includes their books, their uniforms, and so forth. So praise God, in August, or August, but October 1st, we were able to send his, all the siblings to school. And in the process, he started calling me dad. And I asked him, um, why are you calling me dad? And he said, my real dad died when I was 16. You came along and began to walk with your family. Even though we've never physically have seen you, you have literally helped us. When our mother needs surgery, when this, you literally have kept us alive. And I become the man in the house, and you've helped me become that. You are my dad. And I'm like, Wow. Which brings up the question, next slide, what is an orphan? Next slide. Do you also know that there are something called spiritual orphans? For 
70 plus years in Russia, 50 plus years in the former Soviet Union satellite countries. Three generations were raised with scientific atheism. Basically, from first grade, you were told there is no God, but the government will be here. We will birth you and bury you. But then what happens when that government crumbled? For three generations, Christians were persecuted. You were either sent to Siberia or you were killed. No fellowship. Churches were destroyed or turned into skating rings. No one heard about the gospel for three generations. But then in 1991, Soviet Union crumbled. All of a sudden, these missionaries from around the world begin to go into Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, and all these foreign countries in Russia, and begin to proclaim the gospel. And people got saved, and they got their Bibles, they got baptized, and then the missionary says, all right, good luck, thank you for joining the club, we'll see you in heaven, and left them with no mentoring, discipling, or spiritual nurturing, leaving them spiritual orphans. Next slide. This became apparent when 2019 we were sitting with pastors who were way younger than me who got saved in 91 in the early 90s and they pretty much broke down and said, you Americans, you have people that influenced you in your walk. You can say your grandma, grandma, aunt and uncle, mom and dad were believers. We can't. There is no one before us. We're the first generation. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Who do we look up to? How many of you have been influenced by someone in your walk with the Lord? Whether it be a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, someone has influenced you, or who's been mentored or discipled by someone, or you're discipling someone. Yeah, they haven't. They felt like they were just thrown into the water and sink and swim. And unfortunately, many sunk. So the ministry I teamed up with, we changed the name to Spiritual Orphans when we realized we need to come alongside and walk with them and let them know they're not alone. Next slide, please. Connected them to the, to the body of Christ. And you have been helping me do that this past year, Calvary. Next slide. We're going to do this really quickly because lunch is coming up and we want to be the Baptist at the buffet. Short-term mission trips. You've been helping me do this with our English Bible camps, which is geared for primary students, and our teen and adventure camps, which is geared for teens and young adults. Next slide. This year in Lafayette, we celebrated 19 years of doing English Bible camp. The concept, teaching conversational English using the Bible and textbook, and we are in the public school. Imagine trying doing that here in America. And yet here we are in these former Soviet Union countries that kicked out God for 50 years, now are trying to bring him back. I mean, we are able to go on these public schools with this in our hands, open it up, and use it to teach conversational English. This year, our theme was the life of Joseph living in faith. And the kids learn how to live in faith when you're in danger, living in faith when life is not fair, living in faith and waiting on God's timing, living in faith and forgiveness. And the curriculum is designed that Jesus is presented in each story. Even though we were talking about Joseph, we were able to compare it how Joseph and Jesus had similarities, how he was betrayed, how he was down in the pit and raised up. 
we make sure the gospel is proclaimed accurately and clearly so the kids could not say I didn't know what I was talking about. Next slide. Next slide, sorry. This year we also did our sixth Bible camp in the country of Albania, a predominantly Muslim country. When we first went there six years ago, the pastor, the only church in a hundred mile radius, but in the city we were in, there was a mosque in literally every corner. It was like being in the southern states. If you go down to North Carolinas or any of the southern states, there's literally a church on every corner. In this town, there was a mosque on every corner and one church in a hundred mile radius. And the pastor pleaded with us, don't mention Jesus until Friday because Muslims only know him as a prophet. In the Muslim teaching, God doesn't have a son. And Muhammad is one step higher than Jesus. But trust us, we need to earn the trust of the children and the parents. So we were sensitive to the culture and changed words to the songs. We were able to sing about the Lord, about God, about Father, and about Abba. And presented the gospel on Friday. We were able to share the gospel. Because we were sensitive to the culture and submitted to the authority of the pastor of the church, who used to be Muslim as well, we've been invited back the last six years. And this year he says, okay, now they all know you're Christians. They all know you're Americans. You can sing about Jesus now with no problem. So I pull out every gun I had about Jesus on the songs. You know, like songs like There's Power in the Name of Jesus to Break Every Chain. I mean, anything that had to do about forgiveness, about who he is. And you should see the kids. The kids, next slide. The theme for the camp was the power of God, healing. And for the first time, the Muslim kids were learning that Jesus heals. Now, understand, in one room you had Christians and Muslims merged together. And the Christians were singing with all the voices loud. And the Muslims were singing loud until they got to certain words like, what? And you literally saw steam coming out of their ears. Like, that's not what our Iman said, you know. He healed, you know. And finally, one little girl said, can Jesus be a friend to Muslims too? Well, we did two camps, one in the city and one in the village. And at the village, the Americans, we were taken out for lunch, sitting on the patio outside. And all of a sudden, as we were sitting eating, we saw all these cars drive by. And then they drove by again. Same cars. It was like a parade of cars. And it, it just kept going like that throughout the time we are eating. And finally we asked the host, why are they cruising? Rumor got out that Christians are in the village. And they're driving by to check you out. They are watching you intently. To see what you will do. Which brought to mind something. A wonderful Christian woman said to me. Many years ago. Non-believers. May never ever read the Bible. But they will read your life. So tell me what pages are you showing them. And that was her stark reminder. We're being watched. Brothers and sisters. We're being watched. Especially right now. With all this going on. We're being watched. Do we really trust the Lord? Do we really follow him? Or is it just talk or do we walk? 
As the saying goes, preach the gospel wherever you go, and if you have to, use words. Next slide. For our teenage camp, we had it in Slovakia, and this camp was unique because it drew in kids from Slovakia, Ukraine, America, and Latvia. And our theme for this camp, next slide, was unbroken. Oh, next slide. That's our our Ukrainian group. Unbroken. And again, this camp was different because it was led by the teenagers. Us old fogies were kind of pushed in the back. And the teenagers, aged 14 to 19 from America, led the camp, the five-day camp, as they shared about brokenness, how it began with Adam and Eve, how it affected um, Abraham and Sarah, how it affected Moses and the people of Israel, how it affected David, and how Jesus came to mend the brokenhearted. And these kids shared very life-giving testimonies letting the other kids know they weren't alone. How many know that today's generation faces a whole slew of problems you and I never faced growing up? We didn't have these growing up. They have these, or mostly smartphones, in their hands, and they have the whole world and a lot of information at their fingertips. And unfortunately, some of these kids are getting more information than they need to know. It's very sad when, back at Streaky School, when I hear third and fourth graders Talk like adults and not in a good way. Next slide. For our adults, we connect them through workshops, seminars, and conferences. And I'm blessed when I get to serve with that. But most of all, next slide. The biggest blessing for me, the biggest mission field for me the last 13 years. By the way, I was only supposed to be there for three months. November 2010, and come back home February 2011. But something happened in the process, and that was these three. The Lord placed them in my life to where I end up raising them. Next slide. My first, my oldest son, Christoph, he came with me nine years ago here. He is 25 years old. I met him at Bible camp in 2008. He was a little brat back then. Now he's a real sweetie. At 25 years old, he still calls me daddy. Understand, Latvians do not say something unless they meet it. I'm sure it's the same with Ukrainians. In fact, he's half Ukrainian. My son and daughter are half Ukrainian. Their biological father is from Ukraine, and their mom's Latvian. Next slide. My Latvian daughter, Liga. If Latvia was going to ever have a woman president, she probably would be it. Strong-willed, independent, and loves the Lord. She is still at streaky school at age 21, but now she is a teacher. It blows my mind that I raised this young girl from eight years old. She started to become first the English teacher, then she became the class teacher for sixth graders. And I look at her and I just get like, how many parents, when you get proud of your kids, you're just speechless? Yeah. Next to her is her boyfriend, Edgars. And how many know when you see someone together, you're kind of like, yeah, they're going to get married. Yeah, they're going to get married. I, I, I already know. I can already see in my mind I'm going to be a, a big crying mess when I walk her down the aisle. Next slide, please. My youngest one, Marcus. He is 
Romy or Roma, probably we know that better as Gypsy, but the word Gypsy is a derogatory term in my book. He's the one that looks like me the most, acts like me the most, and people assume he's mine biologically, but he's not. He's the one that, uh, he was the surprise child. I wasn't expecting him, but he came along 10 years ago. And he's the one that pushed every button I didn't know I had and gave me every gray hair that I color every month. <laughs> so, and uh, the Lord blessed him with a wonderful girl as well named Elena. I remember when he, a year and a half ago, he went on his date and came back. How many of you have ever seen someone starry-eyed? Or have any of you ever heard the term Twitter-patered? It's from Bambi. When the wise old owl says, beware of being Twitter-patered. It happens at springtime, you know. Or puppy love. Okay. When he came back from his first date with Elena, he had the, the, you know, glazed eyes and kind of was walking on the air. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? He goes, I met my wife. (laughs) A year and a half later, I'm going to marry her. She is my wife. I said, well, how do you know? Because dad, she won't put it with my shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) Next slide. Calvary Chapel Crossfields, for the last year, you have helped me connect the spiritual orphans to the body of Christ. You've helped me build up a country that was ruined by communism and and Soviet thinking. You've been helping me raise three adults that still need their dad. You have been a part of what I've been doing this past year. And I want to say from all of us, from my family, Pastriki School, Gregor's Education, and the people of Lafayette, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a support and for believing in me. I appreciate it. God bless you. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.